Empowered by Faith, Part 2. <clears throat> My subtitle is, When Faith Increases, Wandering Ceases. Now, if you would like to grow in your faith, this message is for you. Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6. The situation that we have here is a follow-up to what Willie talked about last week. God had promised the land. He didn't say you have a 50-50 chance that you might be able to take it. He says, I promised it to you. Send in 12 spies, and I'm going to paraphrase, to get you excited about what I'm going to give you. Ten came back, and they saw by, by sight, we just can't do it. They, their lack of faith began to infiltrate 600,000 people, I think he said, plus women and children. I can't remember. But let's just keep it at 600,000. That's a lot of people influenced by the faithlessness of ten people. When we read in this passage, it's 40 years later, after the ten doubting, fearful spies had died. An entire generation of doubters is no longer. The Bible says, according to your faith, it will be given to you. What the people had said was, we can't go in. If we go, our women and our children, everything we have is going to be given as plunder to the other nations, and they will destroy us. We cannot enter the land. What was it that happened? That whole generation was destroyed, and they didn't enter the land. God said, what you have said will happen is what I'm going to do to you. Because according to our faith, it will be given to us. Joshua had been given Moses' role to lead. To lead God's people. After years and years of being with Moses, Moses being in control, now Moses is dead. Joshua has been an internship, so to speak, under Moses' lead. And Moses is gone. Joshua takes over. Probably lots of different thoughts. One of those thoughts was probably, I'm going to make sure that I'm not like mom and dad. I'm going to make sure that the people that are with me are not like their moms and dads and uh, some of their uncles and aunts. We're going to live by faith. Now, before Moses departed, he had high times and he had low times, but before he departed, he addressed the audience of Israel, and he said to them, before you are both blessings and curses. Blessings, if you believe and you do what God says. Curses, if they follow their own inclinations. Like us, they were repeatedly faced with the choice, whom will we follow, ourselves or God? Joshua chapter 6 and verse 1, an angel has appeared to Joshua just before this, and he goes, are you for us or for our enemies? And the angel just loved you. He goes, I'm not for either one of you. I'm for the Lord. And he gives them this command to go in and take Jericho and provides them with a plan. He sets it all up by saying, this isn't so much about you guys as it is really about the Lord. Because when they entered the land, the plan was that they were going to show a holy God. To an unholy nation. It was about God being revealed through his people. So when the angel said this, he was really kind of setting Joshua up. Joshua, this is not all about you. It's not all about the people. It's about God. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6, 
It says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of, the, because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. That's kind of an interesting statement right after the, bar, the walls are barred and the gates are closed. He says, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its kingdom and with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance! March around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests, who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. So he <clears throat> excuse me, so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then, then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, <clears throat> and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the Ark of the Lord and blowing the, the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the Ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Keep in mind, the walls are still up. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who were with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpets sounded... The army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged in, and they took the city. The devoted things, uh, they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Now, that last paragraph can give us a lot of trouble. That's not what we're going to look at in detail today. But what I want us to look at is going forward by faith. And when faith increases, wandering ceases. What had happened was that God had given a command, 
of how to bring glory to himself. Why do I say that? Because marching around the city does not make walls fall down. They've crossed over. What's happened here is they've crossed over the Jordan River without getting wet. They've committed themselves to wholeheartedly following Joshua, chapter 1, verse 16. The people of the land, it says, were melting in fear, chapter 5, verse 1. In other words, the reputation of God and his people had already scattered and was already having a really powerful effect on the people of the land. They'd probably heard about the Egyptians and the plagues there, the crossing of the Red Sea. They probably heard right away the crossing of the Jordan River. They'd heard about all these things that had happened, and rather than saying, well, this will be interesting, it says that they were melting in fear. I picture these people becoming puddles. They're just melting because they know what God has already done. With the people of Israel, besides crossing the Jordan, making a wholehearted commitment to follow Joshua's leadership, having the people of the land melt in fear, they also reestablished circumcision, which in one way was a mark of holiness or being God's people set apart from the world. And they also established or practiced the Passover as a reminder of God delivering them from the hand of the death angel. They were now facing the fortified city of Jericho. The reading I did said that uh, the city walls, one of the walls was built outside of another wall. There is living quarters in between the two more than likely, such as where Rahab lived. But I believe it was the outer wall that was seven feet thick. And the inner wall was six feet thick. So you've got 13 feet of wall to fall down. It was a miracle. It was something that you just can't explain in any other way other than God took action in an impossible situation to bring about glory to himself through his people. Before the people was the choice of a blessing or a curse. If they do what God says, a blessing. If they do what makes logical sense, then a curse. The scripture says that no one came in or went out, but the gates were barred. Wouldn't it have been a temptation to have said, they're not coming in or out. They're scared to death of us. Let's just wait until they starve to death. I mean, that was a technique of war. But instead of saying, we're just going to wait it out and do what happens naturally, we're going to do what God says. It doesn't make any sense at all. They were facing the question, do we really trust God? That same question faces us every day. Do we really trust God? Do we really believe that God will work in our lives? Do we really believe that it's important to follow God on God's terms? Or do we have a casual attitude about it? We have to face that same question. Do we trust God? It shouldn't be a coin flip that says we trust in God. It needs to be a decision that we'll trust in God. God gives Joshua the success plan. Day one, I want you to march, play the horns, take the ark, draw a lot of attention to yourselves, and go home. Day two, God's plan for success was march around the city, play the horns, 
take the ark with you, draw a lot of attention to yourself, and go home. Day three, God's plan, and you get the point. This happens for six days. What would it take from the people to do that? It took trust. They trusted that God would do what he says if we would do what he says. They did this for six days. So after six days, if my math is right, they'd gone around the city six times. Each day, nothing observable to them happens. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, No faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Our faith should not be dependent upon instant results. Now, I would say that seven days is pretty close to instant results, at least by those days. Today, we want it right now. As soon as we think of it, we want it. But it says faith is being confident of what we hope for. In other words, that we have a confident expectation that what God says will happen, but not yet. And they had the assurance. Day seven, the plan was to do the same thing, but this time do it seven times. Blast a trumpet and shout. And it says that the walls collapsed. Why 13 times? Seven plus six. The text doesn't say, but it's evident, at least to me, that God was teaching them to trust in him, not trust in them. The day God let them be a part of his victory was the day that they were most tired. They had not seen any progress. And there was no report in the story of them getting any encouragement. Wouldn't you be tempted to quit after 12 times around the city? What if they had only marched six days? Or if they'd marched seven seven days, but only 12 times around the city? Well, we already know because nothing happened those 12 times. But when the 13th time came of obedience, they saw something amazing happen. But after 12 rounds, what could have happened if they'd stopped right there would be doubt. When you don't see God acting, you doubt. You know, when we expect things to happen and they don't happen, we can face discouragement. So doubt, discouragement, and dishonor of God's reputation. Because you see, the goal was to not take somebody else's property. The goal was to bring glory to God as this amazing, all-powerful, perfect, and holy God. When we don't follow through, when we don't persevere, doubt begins to come in. Discouragement can come in. And ultimately, the dishonoring of God's reputation can prevail. Now, what's all this got to do with us? We haven't been given this kind of a victory plan. Or have we? What we see in this story is we must trust. Our trust produces obedience. And our trust and obedience produces perseverance. Even when we're not seeing the results that we want in the time that we want. You want an active definition of faith that's being certain of what we hope for. It's that trust or that hope that God is going to work. It's trust 
obedience, and perseverance. I believe that if we actually do these three things, we trust, we obey, and we persevere, not giving up one day too soon or one time around the city too soon, amazing victories will come our way. Three things that I want us to apply this idea of trust, obedience, and perseverance. Gary, the practicals. Thank you. Number one, to trust, to obey, and to persevere in our own personal pursuit of our own personal spiritual maturity. You remember when you signed up? You remember when you gave your life to Jesus? You remember those thoughts that you had when you were taught about lordship? And you remember how you had to go from, I'm really scared and I really don't trust, to, okay, I'm all in, I'm going to trust God and see what happens. Well, at that time, you were probably taught things about how God has this plan to help you remain faithful. And part of that plan is the Holy Spirit, and part of that plan is God's people. And both of those are true. But what I also remember was, if everybody else falls away, I'm still going to follow Jesus. Amen. That's, the, that's what's taught in the scriptures that hopefully all of us got back in that time that we called our conversion. We have to trust, obey, and so much persevere in our own personal pursuit of our own spiritual maturity. Don't leave it on somebody else for you to do well in your walk with God. Now, it's great that we've got each other, but our first responsibility is to have our own relationship with God instead of putting that on somebody else. Number two application of trust, obedience, and perseverance is to have a personal pursuit of helping God's family mature spiritually. It's not every man for himself. It's not, not, I hope you make it. It's not, it's good to see you this morning. And that's as far as we go. What God had in mind for us to be involved in each other's lives, to help each other become more and more like Jesus. This takes trust. When we start looking at each other, it takes a lot of trust. It takes obedience instead of following what we feel. And certainly it takes perseverance because one interaction with each other does not perfect each other. Right? Just take a look to the person beside you and you've got proof of what I'm saying. (laughs) Number three. This was touched on last week. We already know this one. We can become so dull, so numb, because we've heard it so many times. But to apply trust toward God, obedience to God, and perseverance in our obedience to personal pursuit of people without a relationship with God. This is not just a good idea. This is not just something for the person sitting next to you. It's not one of those things that's listed in the list of spiritual gifts. It's written in the realm of the responsibility of everybody in this room who claims to be a follower of Jesus. Now here's what's so great about it. It's not all that complicated. You know what it takes to help other people pursue a personal relationship with God? It takes being grateful for what you've got so that you're aware of what you've got to give to somebody else. If we could be more grateful people, I bet we would be amazed at what God would do among us. 
because we'd be opening our mouths and talking about it. You know, the majors moved here just a short time ago from Boston. Steve's an interesting guy. Steve is one of those guys, everybody's laughing because you've already talked to him. He, he has this ability to be very calm, calm down a, a situation that is going tense, and he just wants to connect on more than a superficial relationship with whoever he's in front of. Now, when I first met Steve, I thought, what is going on here? It was just, it, it was refreshing and a little weird. <laughs> but I've heard these stories. They bought a house, and they've had different repairmen come, such as for the air conditioning uh, and some other things. And I hear these stories from Pam about how Steve is out on the deck talking to, you name it, whoever the repairman is. And he's not saying, would you come to our church? I don't know what the content of the conversation was, but it's basically stuff of, How's your relationship with God? Can I share some things about myself and my relationship with God? You'll have to ask him. I'm probably butchering what he does. But he doesn't, he doesn't just hear, please come. Now, personally, I believe that can still work. But if we shared our faith, what we believe, how God has worked in our life, when we've persevered, when we've trusted, and when we've obeyed, I think we're going to open people's eyes. Because people already have church. They already have religion. Mm -hmm. What people need is a relationship with God. Yes. See, we need to trust God enough to do what he says and to stay at it until he does what he says. It is the 13th time around that God brought the victory. Besides them being tired, how do you think God's people felt? I bet they were going, yes! Fine, maybe, Finally! But I bet they were going for sure, yes, this is amazing. Look at what God has done. Hallelujah. And I bet somewhere within that they were at least think, I am so glad that I trusted, that I obeyed, and I persevered. I bet they were saying things to themselves like, what a waste it would have been if we'd quit after the 12th time. It all starts with trust. Here's something you can do to maybe build that a little bit is to ask someone else before you leave what helps them to trust. Now, in Matthew 9, verse 29, what I quoted earlier was about two blind men that came to Jesus and they asked to be healed, and he offered to do this, and he says, according to your faith, it has been done for you. You see, how much faith we have can be changed. I used to think you either got a lot or you don't have very much. And I was the guy who didn't have very much, and I felt really stuck. But what I've seen is that the Bible doesn't say it's a pass-fail exam. If you have small faith, then you're sort of out. And if you have great big faith, great th big things will happen. What he says is take that mustard seed faith that you have, and God can do great things with it. If you trust, you obey, and you persevere. According to your faith, it will be given to you. Simply put, when faith increases... Wandering ceases. Let's pray. Amen. Father in heaven, uh, we need you. Uh, we need you to guide the way that we think. We need you to guide the way that we behave. God, we need you. Uh, we even plead with you that you would reveal yourself to us in ways that make us aware of you. God, please help us to open our eyes and open our hearts to all the things that we have to be grateful for that you've already done for us. God, help us not be a people that uh, share you out of obligation or being pushed by others, but that 
how you've worked in our lives is what compels us to share you with other people. God, I pray that you'd help us to trust, to obey, 